I'm going to invite you to turn and go with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, as we get started this evening into our, into our study, Matthew chapter 7. And I need somebody to help me out. Aaron, would you help me out up here to do an illustration? Thank you. Thank you. He'll take care of that. I need, Aaron, I need somebody highly, highly intelligent. So I thought that maybe you could help me out, okay? Would you pick out somebody highly intelligent? No, that's not, no, I'm, you, you can be the one, you can be the one, okay. Um, maybe if you sit down, I'm going to ask you a few questions. Let's make yourself comfortable since you have no idea that I'm throwing this at you. When's your birthday? March 10th. Okay. Um, so you were born what year? 2002. What? Yes. 2002. 2002. What time of day? Morning. Okay. What was the weather like? Yes, and say sunny. <laughs> Do you have a clue? He got the first one right, right there. Okay. Okay. So, who was all in the room when you were born? I'm going to go out all in and say my grandparents, my mom and dad, and Josh. Oh, my word. That was a big crowd. Wow. Is he way out on a limb? Way out. Okay. Okay. Wait a minute. Were you there? Were you there? Yes. And, and you don't remember who was all there? Is this just because you're getting old and your memory is fading? You don't remember, though. But you were there. Yes. You were the center of attention. Yes. Okay. But you don't remember. Why not? That is a good question. Okay. <laughs> do, you remember, do you remember the care in the hospital? Is that because this has been so many years ago? No. <laughs> you don't remember? No. How come? I don't know. Okay. Could it be that you were a little young at the moment? Could be. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, huh? Yeah, yeah. How do you know you were then really born on that day? Okay, so without a birth certificate, you don't remember. You don't know for sure if it wasn't on the birth certificate. Well, not necessarily. I mean, people say you're born then, so you kind of got to trust them. Oh, so because your parents told you you were born on that day, then you're confident that happened. Sure. Okay. Okay, let me ask you a more important question. Because you're, you're helping me out immensely, okay, with what we're doing, with all your brilliant answers. Uh, how do you know you're, you're uh, alive right now? Because I'm able to move and I'm not dead. Well, some people might question if you're, uh, you know, what about from the neck up? You know, it could be the question for some. You sure you're alive? You don't remember when it, you don't remember the date that it happened. Okay. You don't remember what happened that day. But you know you're alive because he told you. Yes. Okay. And you got a birth certificate and you're moving. I mean, you're moving around. You're, you're alive. Yes. Okay. Yes. I 
Okay, that all works. Okay, speaking of moving, why don't you move that microphone back there. Help, thank you so much. Let's do this. Let's pick up from what he said, okay? Don't build his ego anymore. (laughs) Okay, let's take him as an illustration of our spiritual birth, okay? In the sense that people question at times, am I really saved? One of the reasons a lot of people question if they're really saved is they don't remember what they what happened they don't remember their spiritual birthday in the sense of okay i did it as a child there's a number of you who are sitting here who grew up in christian homes you prayed as a child and you don't really remember you don't remember what you said or you don't remember what you know maybe some of the basics but there's some doubts that way some people don't remember the words that they pray they say it they prayed that time or some people they say well i don't know if i fully understood everything that was involved when i prayed to ask jesus christ to be my savior and others will say well i still don't i'm, I'm just not sure because i still struggle with a lot of things Okay, so in our Sunday school classes, what we're doing this next, this week, next week, and the week after, we're talking about the doctrine of eternal security. How to, how to make sure that you understand that once you got saved, it, it really, really, really is going to be eternal. It can't, you can't lose it, even though the struggles. What I want to talk about tonight is I want to talk about that one question that came up in our lesson this morning, are you really, truly born again? How, you know, did you really get saved at that moment? And for some of us who don't remember the exact moment we got saved, we have a birth certificate. Some of you wrote it in your Bible. Some of you have some documentation or somebody's telling you. But more importantly than that, one of the proofs that you know that if you were saved or not is, is there evidence in your life? Is there fruit? We, we asked, I asked Aaron, how do you know you're alive? He said, I'm moving. Okay, that would be like going to the doctor, and I had that that you know fun experience of going in for the annual physical where they probe and they prod and they do all kinds of things, and you say don't do that, but they do it. Okay, and they take vitals and they examine to say, okay, is everything okay? What I want you to do this evening with me is I want you to do a spiritual examination of your heart, a spiritual test to see do you show the spiritual vitals that indicate you truly are born again. You truly are saved. Now, in Sunday school, we'll talk about, well, if you did, if you truly are, then you can't lose it. We'll talk about that. But let's just do tonight. Are you truly, truly born again? Because some people doubt. Now, the reason that we should check is Matthew chapter 7. Are you sitting there yet? Matthew chapter 7. Look at a verse in Matthew chapter 7. In this passage, Jesus is preaching. He's saying, here's what's going to happen in the future. He says in verse 21, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, they're calling him Lord. They're saying the right things. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, haven't we? And he'll give statements. Prophesied in your name. Haven't we cast out devils? In your name, haven't we done wonderful works? And so he is saying there are going to be people who will do the church thing. They will go through the motions. They will do the Christian activities. They will do some, some all kinds of r- rigorous types of spiritual activity. But he says to some of those people, I am going to say unto them, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, because I never... Okay, and so he's making an observation. There are going to be religious people who do not really know the Lord. Thus, they won't be allowed into heaven. Is that you? 
Are you, am I, are we going through the motions, but we really don't possess a relationship with Jesus Christ? This isn't the only verse that gives us a warning. In Matthew chapter 18, he's talking to a series of disciples, people who are gathered. It's not just the 12, it's more than the 12. And he makes a statement to them. He says to this group of people who claim to be disciples, claim to be followers, unless you be converted as a child with childlike faith, totally trusting. And he's talking to a group of people who are following him, who are saying, we, we love Christ, we love Jesus. Could it be possible that in a church setting of this size, there might be one or two people who say, well, I believe in Jesus, and I have the doctrine, and yes, I, you know, I, I'm going to follow the group. I'm going to go with the youth group. I'm going to go with, you know, the teen stuff. I'm going to go with, you know, the other families, and, you know, I believe in Jesus, and da-da-da-da-da-da, but you have never been converted as a child is converted. You haven't trusted in him fully. You're still leaning upon some of the things that you do, some of your activities, some of your relationships with others that you're going to heaven because you're in a home that's a Christian home rather than you yourself have personally asked Christ as your Savior. There's another text that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. I don't know if any of us got to this this morning. If some of the others did, maybe. But he says, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not that of your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you? Okay, but he's told them, examine, check, make sure that you are of the faith. Then he makes a statement, except you be reprobates. The idea is that some within the church of Corinth who are sitting in the church could be individuals who would fail the test of salvation. They have said it, but their life doesn't show evidences. They don't show the vital signs, the very basics, the breathing, the the heart pressure, the different things, the spiritual aspects of, yes, I'm truly born again. He is not the only one that talks about that. If we take our Bibles now and head over to the, the uh, book that we want to look at next in 1 John. 1 John towards the end of the New Testament. Here's where we're going to park for the evening. In 1 John, he is writing, and when he writes in chapter 2, John makes a statement here in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And this is, this is going to begin where we're going to be at this evening in this section of the Scriptures. Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Watch the next verse. He that says, I know him. Now, this is, this is uh, you know, again, in this statement, there are some statements that you may want to add right in your Bible. In the original language, it says, some in the group keep on saying this over and over. They're insistent. And when they say, I know him, they use, they say, I have known him in the past, and I continue to know him. It's what we call a perfect. So you have a, you have a present tense and a perfect tense that are going together in this passage that they say over and over and over again, I knew Jesus a while back, and I I continued to know him. And then John makes this comment. He says, he that says, keeps on saying, I have known him, keep on knowing, and keepeth not his commandment, is a what? He's a liar. He's a liar. And the truth is not in him. In other words, John is saying there are some people who may say the right things, but if they don't have the vitals, if they don't have the evidence of spiritual uh, fruit, they're not truly born again. And some of those people may say, well, in the last days, I'm going to come to Jesus and say, Lord, I did all these. 
but he says, I'm going to, you know, depart from me, workers of iniquity. This is serious stuff that we need to examine ourselves. In fact, John, in the rest of this book, will keep on saying, you know if you're saved, if this. You know if you're saved, if this. We know that we are of the Father, if this happens, if this happens. And he gives us several different vital signs that indicate whether or not we are truly, truly, truly born again. And so the question that you have to have when you go through this is, what about me? What about me? And so, so as we go through John's writings, let's just set the terms and then let's set up the, the idea and look at some passages. Over 40 times in this book, he's going to use the word no. This book is written with one purpose in mind, that you and I who are the readers, we have confidence. Go to the last chapter of the book. Go to chapter 5, verse 13. In chapter 5, verse 13, he's going to make the comment. He says, this is who I'm writing this epistle to. In verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of Son of God. I'm writing to Christians. I'm writing to believers. And so he makes it very clear, the wording that he's using, I have written unto you, all of you, that believe on the name of the Son, that each and every one of you may know, have the confidence that you have eternal life. And that you may continue to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So in this book, he gives us the key of how to know for sure we are truly born again. And it's going to be by different statements he's going to make, and we're going to examine them. But here's where we want to be, okay? Understand, John is giving us life signs. He's giving us vitals. For some of you, like me, let's take Aaron's illustration. He doesn't really remember the day he was born. He was there... But he doesn't remember exactly who was all there, what was going on, those types of things. He has a document, a birth certificate, but he doesn't remember. But he knows it happened. How does he know it's happened? Because he's alive today. Some of you may not remember exactly what I prayed, may not remember exactly or, you know, what was the circumstance. If you do, that's great, that's fine, that's wonderful. But if you don't, but do you have the life signs? Because some people may say, well, I did this at VBS. I prayed at camp. I did this. But they're relying on a false moment because they don't have any of the life signs afterwards. So this goes two ways here. For some of you, that it's going to be saying, hey, wait a minute, you've got to examine to find out, are you truly born again? And if you're not, if you don't have the evidences of truly being saved, you need to get saved. Others of you say, okay, my problem is I just have doubts. I'm just not sure. I don't remember. Then let's settle it. Are you truly born again? Do you show biblical evidences that you truly, truly have the Spirit of God living within you? What are those evidences? I'm going to put them in the form of questions. Okay? And again, I would write these passages down, or maybe the thought, or however you want to put it, or the question. I'd put it in the front of my Bible. So that if I'm talking with somebody, I have this on hand right away with my Bible that I could share with somebody. I would ask this question. I'm going to phrase it this way. You can phrase it however you want. Do you want to obey God's word? Do you have a desire to obey God's word? Let's look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Back up a little bit. He says, Hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God, maturing, perfecting, doing the work. Hereby know we that we are in him. And then he goes on and talks a little bit more about it. So what we have here is some, some obvious statements. When we got born again, God never freed us from all commandments and responsibilities. There are commandments for believers. 
Okay, though some would say, well, I got saved so I don't have to keep any rules. <laughs> that just doesn't work that way. There are still some rules we need to keep. There are some responsibilities. God has some commandments that all of us are supposed to do, and uh, so we're supposed to keep those. Obedience to these commands, and some of them could include baptism. Some of them could include forgiveness. Some could include loving one another, forgiving one another, sharing the gospel, whatever those commands are, and there's plenty of them. Obedience to these commands do not produce salvation in us because then salvation depends on who? us doing things, but rather real salvation is going to show show up in your life because obedience to these commands proves salvation is already in us. It doesn't bring salvation to us. It just shows from the inside out that I do have God's Spirit in me because God's Spirit in me helps me want to obey God's commandments. Let's add to this. The idea in this text is not 100% perfection. We know that from other passages, like in Romans 7, where Paul is writing and says, the things that I would, I don't do. The things that I do, I don't want to do. Is there a battle in Paul's heart? Yes. Is there a battle in your heart at times to be obedient to the Lord? That's a question for you. Is there a battle and a struggle at times? Okay, okay, that, and that happens. But what we have here is that this is the norm. It may not be 100%, but is this the norm? Is this the general truth in your life? Is there a desire to want to obey what God says? He says, if that's in your life, that is a, that is a vital sign. That is, hey, you got good blood pressure spiritually. Things are going well. And so our pattern, as he even makes the comment in this text, he even makes the idea that, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself, verse 6, so also so to walk, even as Jesus walked. Jesus is our example of saying, I want to do the will of the Father. I want to please the Father. And he says, this should be in your life. Is this in your life? Is this vital there? Is this blood pressure? Is this a part of your life? Is it your normal desire and response to obey God's word? Let me add to this. Okay, not stated, but implied. Implied is this, that there should be desire to learn what God says, to learn God's word. You can't do his commandments if you don't know them. So a truly born-again person will want to hear God's word, and then what he hears, he will want to obey. He, let's make a third statement. Do you, or a question, do you show a genuine desire to learn and do what God commands? Is that your normative? Is that, the, is that where you sit when you hear preaching? Is that where you sit when you have devotions? Is there an inner desire? I want to obey God. Is there a battle? Yes. But is there a desire and is it becoming in your life a growing process and truth that yes, I am obeying more and more and more as I grow in Christ? So that's one of the first questions we want to ask ourselves. Number two, another question you want to ask, how do you treat other Christians? How do you treat other Christians? You can put down, how do I feel? Whatever. But let's look at what he says. Jump down into the text, verse 9. He that says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loves his brother abides in the light and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. He's going to make more comments. Let's jump down to chapter 3. He picks up with that same conversation. Verse 10. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever does not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loves not his brother. 
For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we... What's your Bible say? We love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in... Yeah. Okay, so let's make the statements. There are multiple passages about loving brothers and sisters in Christ. Loving the church family. Lots of passages. We could just sit here and say, okay, let's just come up with different ideas. How is this love to be expressed? And you could have preferring one another, be of the same mind, receiving one another, edifying, confessing faults, and that is relying on others to help you, bear one another, admonish one another, be hospitable. All these plus many, many more are some of those acts of love that we should be showing one to another. So John says, with that in mind, God has commanded us to be loving towards one another, to love other believers. Okay, in that sense. This type, according to what John just said, this is a natural result of the Spirit of God being within you. You're going to have a connection to other people spiritually, and you're going to want to get along with them. You're going to want to help them. You're going to want to admonish them, to prefer them, to encourage them. It's a natural desire within the true believer's heart. In chapter 4, he makes another comment about this. It is such an important theme that, it, that throughout the book he come, brings up this idea of loving. Let's go to chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knoweth not God, for God is love. And so he goes on and talks a little bit more about God and the love aspect. But the point is, you and I, this is going to be a normative if we are truly born again. This type of love. In fact, chapter 4, verse 19. It's, here's how we show love for God, by loving one another. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and yet hates the brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not the, his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? Then he goes on, this commandment have we from him, that, we, that he who loves God loves loves his brother also. And so this theme of loving one another, it's, it, it, it implies right away that we don't, we, we don't mind being around brothers and sisters in Christ. To love them, to prefer them, to exhort them, to work with them, to prefer them. We have to have contact. That's the church family. That's the body of Christ. And so implied in here is if I'm loving the brethren, I love to get together with brothers and sisters in Christ. I have a desire to get together with brothers and sisters in, in Christ, to help them and them to help me. And so the idea in the question you want to ask somebody that you're talking to, do you enjoy being around Christians? Some people don't. Some people don't. We already read already in this text that one of the reasons Cain was upset with Abel was Cain, where it says that Abel was righteous. The point is that some people don't want to be around Christians because those Christians... They convict them. Those Christians are contrary to them. Those Christians don't want to do what they want to do. Maybe it's because they're not truly born again. And so that's the argument that the writer is making. Do you desire to talk about and encourage other believers with your spiritual learnings and gleanings? That should be a natural, and it is, according to the Word of God, a natural response of those who are born again. And so we would even ask this question to make more pointed. Is going to church a chore? Is it something that you want to avoid? Well, obviously you're here this evening, but let's ask attitude-wise. 
Are you here? You may be here physically, but are you here in spirit? Is this something you want to do? Well, that is evidences that you may, that you have the spirit of God living within you. Now, let's, let's do the negative from the text. If we do not have a genuine desire to be with believers or help them grow spiritually, here's what John said. This is very, very pointed. John said this, you're not saved. Go back to chapter 2, verse 9. He says, you're a liar. The truth is not in you. You're blind, he says in chapter 2, verses 9 and 11. That is, you don't even see the dangers ahead. You're like Cain, that we read that text. Cain didn't even realize how bad his jealousy could grow. and, And all of a sudden it ended up that it grew so big that he kills his brother. And so he's saying, he's warning that you who say, okay, I really don't, you know, I have angst, animosity, it doesn't bother me, and I'm harboring something. He said, this is a dangerous place to be. Dangerous place because you become blind. And he made the statement in chapter 2, verse 10, which was very interesting, that he makes a statement about, he that loves his brother and abides in light, there is none occasion of stumbling in him. This individual who is walking in light, like you. This individual is truly born again, like many of you. He says that's doing what's right. You are not going to stumble, trip up another believer or somebody else from the faith because you're caring for individuals. You're going to have a sense of, I don't want to stumble people. I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to drive people away from Jesus Christ because you love the brethren. You know, there's a story that came out of history that talks about a man who's walking down a path. And as he's walking down a path, two other men were behind him. And it's dark, it's at night, they must have changed the clocks. And so he's moving down and he has this lantern with him. And as he's moving, the two men way behind are coming closer and closer. And they see that man with a lantern because they can see the outline behind him as it swings. And they're thinking, oh, that man must be drunk. He's not really stable in the sense of he's not walking a straight line. They get a little bit closer and they find out that the man isn't drunk, but the man has a white cane. And so he's got the lantern and he's got the white cane. And the reason that he wasn't in quite in a straight line is he's trying to feel his way with the white cane. What's the white cane show? He's blind. One of those two men that came up, they got in conversation with the man and he asked the most obvious question. What does a blind man need a lantern? What's the reason for it? He said, oh, it's not for me, it's for others. So that others don't run into me. And I don't stumble others. Isn't that the attitude we should have? In the sense that we want to have a concern and consideration for other people. Well, that's what the Bible says is a reality of somebody who is truly born again. One of the vitals, one of the pulses is, how do you treat other believers? How do you, do you want to be around them? Are you great? Are you are you one who's wanting to help them out spiritually? Are you one who who helps them? Number three, a third sign, a third vital is this: What do you really like to do? Ask the question: What do you really like to do? Let's go to John chapter two. Most of you are very familiar. You have this memorized. If not, it's one of those you should memorize. John chapter two, verse fifteen: Love not the world, neither the things that are. In the world. Here you go. You got it. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not. Okay, you got that. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the, uh, lust of the flesh, excuse me, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of the Father abides forever. Okay, let's dissect it for a second. The command literally is stop loving the world. Love not means stop it. 
Stop this. Okay, churchgoers, the reality is telling believers, churchgoers can be attracted to the world. And by the way, we are. Okay, we can easily be, be sucked right into the, some of those things. The world in this passage is an arrangement, cosmos. It's the idea of things that are arranged. We, we might, we're not talking about the physical planet that people shouldn't love the physical, well, some people do, but uh, the physical planet isn't the issue. The, the idea is the system. Like we have the world of sports, we have the world of music, we have the world of video games. It's a system. It's an arrangement. The world of commerce, the world of banking. It's that whole arrangement. He says, don't love the arrangement that has permeated society around us. And then he defines exactly what areas that we should be avoiding okay, in that society. And what areas in particular. And he talks about those things like the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Let's, let's expand that a little bit. Okay? The lust of the flesh would be appetites that we see in society. In society, that idea of, okay, the things that are promoted to make you feel good. Illicit sex, drink, drugs, uh, you know, barbiturates, uh, doing whatever you want to do without boundaries. That's what the society, the system says, you know, if you like it, do it. Go for it. No, no rules. It's just the, the first person you want to please is yourself. Okay. And so that's that idea of, of what he's talking about, the lust of the flesh, is that system of saying, you satisfy your physical desires, whatever you want to do, whatever it involves. So he says, stay away from that. That part of the world, the society that promotes sensuality, selfishness, indulgence, stay away from it. Get out of it. Then he talks about the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes is, you know, the things that that's, you, you got to get. You gotta. By the way, is, is our minds, are we bombarded with the lust of the eyes? TV commercials. They're, they're all about selling you stuff. Yes, no? Getting you to buy their thing. Not, not all of it is bad and evil, and, but it's that idea that you see it and you say, I just got to have it, okay? He says, don't get caught up in that. Don't get caught up if you, you know, um, it, it, it didn't happen in your home, I'm sure. I'm, this is probably just my kids. But when I take my kids to the store and we're picking out things that are necessary, like, hey, we need to get you some new, you know, socks and some t-shirts and some clothing, they really didn't care about that stuff. They were more interested in the section that's called toys, okay? And when they would get to the toys, they wouldn't say, I want. They would say, I need it. I need it. Why do you need it? Because then I'll be good. You know, then that idea, I, if I get that, if I get that, and I'm not saying a new car is bad. If I get a new car, then I'll be happy and satisfied and never ask for anything. <laughs> yeah, right? We all know that that's not true. Because, you know, two years later when the new car smell is gone, we need to have another one. Okay? The fix isn't enough. He says that system is addictive. That system is never satisfying. The, the pride of life, he says, be careful of this. It's the idea of you being the center of attention. It's the idea, talk about the pride of life. Some people, some people, their Facebook is all about the pride of life. Right? You got to, it's all about me. And he says, be, be careful of that. Making yourself looking good and being popular. A desire to have position and possessions. Okay, the pride of life. I've got to be one, one step ahead of the Joneses. That pride of life. Making people know all about you and what's, what's happening with you. Pleasing others. 
Being that pride of life, I want people to like me, so I'm going to make sure that I, I do what pleases other people. You know, thinking yourself better than, than others. All of that is involved with this pride of life. The point being is he is saying we as believers, we're not supposed to be in this type of thing. If this, if this is you, this describes you to the hilt, he says, now wait a minute, the love of the Father then is not in you. And he makes some observations, okay? That even though those things we, we battle with, we struggle with, a true believer, this is not where he finds his identity. It's not in self-gratification. It's not in possessions. It's not in popularity and position. A true believer finds his identity in Jesus Christ. I'm a child of the King. That gives us our real facet. The system is not of God, this lust of the eyes, it's not of God. In fact, it doesn't last. It passes away. It's very, it's very false. It's, you know, it, it presents itself as this is going to be your solution to all of your heart's desires, and it isn't. And we who are truly born again, we don't get falling up. Into, in fact, James is led by the Spirit of God to say this type of an affection is a mark that you are not only born, not born again, but he makes the statement, adulteresses and adulterers, know ye not that friendship to the world makes you a what? Basically, you're at odds with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Okay, so a truly born again person, they're going to be an individual that says, that's not what I like. I'm going to have different values. Number four, what about you and sin? What about you and sin? Great question. First John chapter 3, jump down to verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Amazing. Therefore the world knows us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him was no sin, or is no sin. Whosoever abides in him sins not. Whosoever sins hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that does righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that commits sin is of the... Mm. For the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might... I have destroy the works of the devil. Does anybody have a different word there? In your footnotes, anything. If you lost me, I'm in verse 8, the last phrase. What's that? Undo. Okay. Okay, we'll get back to that word then in, in a moment. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifested or revealed, and the children of the devil. Whosoever does not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loves not his brother. Wonderful text, challenging text, and a problem text. I don't know about you, but when I first read that text years ago, it was like, 
that verse says, I am not saved. Because maybe, maybe you don't have a problem. I'm saved, and I prayed, and I asked Christ, and I meant it, but I still struggle with sin. Anybody else in this room have that problem? So how do we reconcile this text? Well, this is one of those texts that, unfortunately for us, our English is wonderful, but you have to understand the original language. And you have to make notes here. So let's explain it, what we have here. Real Christians, would you agree with this? Real Christians can and do sin after being saved. Is that true? Okay, I can prove that from the same book. I can take you back to chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, that says this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This is John speaking to these readers. If we, who are the believers, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. How does this gel together? Is there a contradiction? No. No, there isn't. Then what happens later on, and we'll come to 1 John 3 in a second. We are, when, when we get born again, we are no longer punished eternally for our sins. Granted, is that true? Yes, okay. The punishment for your sin is taken away. The wages of sin is what? Death, okay. And Christ gave you life. Okay, and so you're not going to be punished. We have access to God, therefore, for cleansing and for forgiveness. It takes us back to that illustration when Jesus was doing the foot washing. He comes up and Peter says, oh, no, 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 don't wash my feet. Jesus says, if I do not wash your feet, I have no fellowship with you. And Peter's response is, well, if that's the, the point, and that the word part or fellowship, if that's the case, then wash me all over because I want that much. And Jesus said, he that is washed in part needs not to wash all, uh, he that is washed all over need not to be washed all over but only has to do little parts. It's a classic illustration of, hey listen, if you're saved, you've been washed all over. But as you walk through your everyday life, in the roads and, the, and life, you get the dust on your feet. You need to have a part of you washed. That is everyday cleansing. That is, every day going and asking Christ to forgive you of your sins, of disobedience or anger or jealousy or big mouth or whatever it is. And on our daily basis, we don't lose our, our salvation. We don't lose our relationship. But with those everyday instances, we might lose our fellowship. Just what we all talked about in Sunday school this morning. Okay. That idea of relationship with God as opposed to fellowship. And so in 1 John chapter 1, we're talking about fellowship. We're saying that you and I, will, who are born again, we want to be right. We want to be close to the Lord. We want to get rid of those everyday sins and what we battle with. And if we don't, we're going to have some chastisement. And who God chastises, the children that he loves. If there is no chastisement, it's because that, that person is not a child of God. Hebrews chapter 12. And so in the first part of the book, we have this idea that you and I have been forgiven, but we have to go on a daily basis for some cleansing. And God will help us to overcome. Now back to 1 John 3. 1 John 3 is talking about something much bigger and broader. 
The wording is very clear. He that gladly stays in habitual sins. So when you read the words in the verbiage almost all the way through, he that commits sin, he that does sin, all the verbiage there is very clear that what we're talking about is a continuation, a constancy, a lifestyle that there is, not, uh, there, is, there is not a change in their life. They're just continuing in a lifestyle of sin or selfishness or the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and it doesn't bother the person. And the person just continues on. And he's making that statement that he says, whosoever abides in him, he doesn't keep on living in a sinful lifestyle. Whosoever has been and is still born of God, he says, and by the way, that whosoever makes no exceptions no exceptions. He says, doesn't continuously live in a lifestyle of sin. He makes the statement, rather that person will keep on purifying himself, wanting to be more, more right with the Lord, more closer fellowship, a holier life, if you would. Strive for purity in their lifestyle. Verse 7, they keep on doing righteousness. This becomes their new lifestyle. Their lifestyle is not selfishness and anger and gossip and, and greed. But when they repented, there was a change. And now it's going to be graciousness and forgiveness and the desire to be uh, living for the Lord. Oh, could there be the turning around like Peter did and going back into a denial? Yes, there's going to be conviction. And this is going to be more of and the majority of the person's lifestyle. So you have to ask the person a question. How do you feel about sin? Can you get away with sin and keep on living in sin and keep on fostering that sin and it doesn't bother you? Not if you're a child of God. Not if you're a child of God, there should be a change. The child of God makes Jesus Christ their pattern. The child of God understands that, G that Satan was destroyed, rendered powerless. And they say, I can overcome, and I want to overcome my besetting sins. The child of God says that the Spirit of God lives within me, therefore I have a desire that I want to have a pure life. I want to clean up my language. I want to overcome my attitude. I want to be able to control my lustful thoughts, my angry thoughts, my bitter thoughts. I want to bring them under the power of Jesus Christ. He gives us reasons why in this text too. He says very clearly in verses 1 and 2, because the Father loves us, because the Father loves us, because the Father loves us, we have a desire we don't want to disappoint the Father. He says the Son has died for us. Because He died for us, we don't want to discount. We don't want to discredit His sacrifice and act as if it didn't do anything in my life. The Son is coming back. Because He's coming back, I want to purify. I want to be right. I want to be when the Lord comes back, doing what pleases the Lord. So questions that we have so far go this way. These are the vital signs. Do you want to obey God's word? Is there in your life a general pattern of saying, I want to do what God commands me to do? Second question was, how do you treat other believers? Do you want to be with them? Do you want to help them spiritually? Then there was a third question. What do you really like? What are your major desires, your major goals? What motivates you? What is, what is your greatest interest? Number four question is, what about you and sin? Does it bother you when you sin? Do you have a desire to live a holy life? Do you, or do you love some sin so much so that you say, I don't care what is stated in church. This is okay. I love it and I'm going to do it. Those are evidences. 
They reveal something about you. There is another statement in this passage that I want to do, and it's not as uh, forward or as uh, blunt as the other four, but let's ask this last question, okay? Do you have regular answers to your prayers? Let's go to chapter 5, verse 13. We already read it at the beginning, but look at its context. It says in verse 14, I'm sorry, let's back up to verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Let's just make it statements quickly. Real Christians, those who are born again, they have the privilege of praying. We know that. We understand that. Real Christians want to pray. In this text, it's assumed that you are going to be praying as a believer since we are knowing that he hears us whatsoever we are asking. is not commanded, but it's assumed you are going to God in prayer. Okay, and that's, a, that's an evidence that you want to have that fellowship with the Lord. You want to obey his commands. One of the commands is pray without ceasing. Real Christians get answers to the prayer when they pray according to his will. There will be some answers. The answer might be no. Okay? But the answer may be, wait a little bit. But the answer, there's going to be clarity that if you're praying according to his will, you're going to be able to point and say, he heard me. He answered me. He's given me something. Can you point to specific answers to the prayers that you have prayed? That is evidence of a relationship with the Father. Surely, surely a fellowship with the Father, but it even in this text is implying a relationship with the Father. Do you have answers to prayer? So if you're talking with somebody, we're going to give them the test. If somebody stays around after a camp service, somebody wants to talk after a service like this, somebody says, you know, I, 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 I don't remember, I don't know, am I really... Am I really? It's, it's not uncommon here on a Sunday morning. It's not uncommon that, that several times throughout this fall already, there's been certain folk who have come and said, Pastor, you made this statement, and I, 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 I don't know if I'm really, really saved. Here's the test. Here's the test. Let's, get, let's lay it out. Do you want to obey God, true or false? Question. I want to be with and help believers, true or false? Question. I do not like nor follow after the world. True or false? Question. I try to put off sins and live a holy life. True or false? Question. I get specific answers to my prayers. I can point to some. True or false? That is God's test of whether you have, you show whether or not you are truly born again. So you take the test, which you don't want to cheat on. Okay? You want to answer the questions honestly. You don't want to deceive yourself nor be deceived by the evil one. You want to be very honest with this. Okay? If these signs are not a normal part of your life, you may not be truly saved. And if that's the case, you need to talk to somebody and get this settled now. And not play with this idea. And not jeopardize your eternal destiny because of your pride that says, well, what will the other teens say? What will the other moms and dads say? What will my family think? What will God say? Depart from me, you work of iniquity. I never knew you. You want to make sure that you are truly, truly a child of God. Now, if these signs are a normal part of your life, then what you want to do is you say, praise God. Sometimes I may not feel 
like I'm saved, but the fact is, I am. I am. And we go by the facts, okay? Now, Aaron at the beginning gave us a real, real important, he mentioned a real important document. Do you remember what the document was? His birth certificate. Listen, friends, God has given you a birth certificate that says, yes, no, you were born. This is the document you go by. This is the facts of God's word. Do you line up to his word to those facts? Father, I pray if there is anyone here who has any doubts, that they would settle those doubts, that they would have clarity from your word and compare themselves with your word. Use what people have just written to help them to minister to others who struggle with these doubts, who struggle with, some cases, overconfidence. And I pray that you would, in, in, in your, via your spirit, give us the wisdom to apply these, these passages to our own hearts and the hearts of others in a very, 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 very gracious, spirit-led fashion. We pray in your name. Amen.